0: Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark.
1: And I'm Rochelle Moulton.
0: And today we're gonna to talk about perspective and mindset and the interplay between the two.
1: And maybe we'll tease a little bit about confidence in there too. Yes,
0: and fairness, a will be you imposter syndrome crops up. A whole bunch of woo-woo subjects for you today.
1: <laughs> I'll bet we get concrete pretty fast on this one.
0: You stop that. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. So I, f- I feel like this spun out of last week's recording. Uh, I know we mentioned one of the two terms, and that got us talking. And I think, if I remember correctly, Rochelle, you were like, oh, yeah, now that you mention it, this has come up a few times.
1: Yeah, it's it was weird. I had two conversations this last week that uh, kind of hit on this, but also had some confidence stuff. So I feel like it's in the air. hmm so maybe maybe we start with like let's define like almost like a dictionary definition of mindset versus perspective. Mm-hmm. How, how do you how do you see mindset?
0: Uh, just starting anecdotally, the facing or sort of wrestling with the two different things in a coaching context. Perspectives are much easier to change than mindsets they're closely related and perspective, you know, like one can sort of inform the other. Uh, I think mostly mindset informs perspective or, or makes it more likely that someone will have certain types of perspectives, but you can change a perspective on a dime just by putting someone in a, in a different, you know, in a different vantage point, like look at it from over here and like, Whoa, now I see what you're talking about. It doesn't happen all the time, but it can happen where a light bulb comes on and they never can go back. To seeing things the old way so for me that a perspective is like that mindset is more of a deeply held foundational belief about yourself and the world that could have all sorts of inputs into it you know your your childhood uh, religious background ex- early life experiences and, and things like that just form the way that you see the world so you can kind of—it's kind of like a perspective, but it's this—you know—it's the way you see things, it's the way you perceive things, but it's way more deep-seated, maybe to the point of being subconscious and not something that is easily changed.
1: Yeah, I, I like that because it's—it's. It's, I think of it as being anchored. And what's interesting, if you look up various definitions of mindset, you'll—you'll you'll hear the word or see the word fixed you know, that it's fixed. But then you'll also see that it's an intention or an inclination. And so I think, I just believe that there are aspects of our mindset that we can change if we become aware of them and we want to change. And sometimes that means therapy. You know, it's not just that you read something, it's that you need to rethink how you think about a thing based on all the things you described, right? Your earlier experiences.
0: Right. Yeah. You can help someone change their mindset for sure. But It's, it's way more, to me, it's like way more pure coaching where you can't, you can't just turn on a light bulb and they say, Oh, (laughs) Oh, look at that. I've been wrong about the last 20 years of the way I perceive the world or or my, my role in it or it just doesn't, I've never seen it happen, Uh, but you can certainly do things as a coach or advisor or parent to. Kind of like connect with the person, empathize, understand, and then sort of maybe provide new information and encourage them to start to even identify what their mindsets are because they don't, it's usually invisible. Yeah. Um, to them. And it's like start to identify. It's like, oh, yeah, I do think that. Not everyone thinks that. No, not everyone thinks that. It's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Why do you think you think that? How do you think it's affecting your life? You know, like <laughs> it's a, it's a long game, and I feel like it's really subject-led or whatever you call the call this student or patient or child or whatever. It's really on them to do the hard work of examining, and then you just kind of be patient and and maybe model the mindset that you want to encourage or. Um, be supportive, answer questions, but it really, the person has to really be enrolled in the process of maybe not changing the mindset, but at least examining it first and deciding whether or not it's serving them well.
1: Yeah, it's being open. I mean, one of my favorite questions to ask when I feel like there's some mindset going on is mm-hmm. I might say, what if that wasn't true? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that's when you can get whoa but but it is true but what if it wasn't mm-hmm. well and that's and then you start to think about oh so I mean a simple example would be what if I think that a uh, hundred dollars a month is the maximum someone will pay for a membership program from me
0: mm-hmm.
1: and well what if that wasn't true oh you know, maybe <laughs> it's 200. Wow, well, what would that look like? And what would I have to do to provide $200 worth of value? And if they don't really believe it's possible, they're going to just double whatever work they're doing in the $100 to get to 200 <laughs> So it's, yeah, it's examining that stuff. And it's like the biggest favor you can do for yourself is to ask yourself, well, what if this thing I'm looking at, whatever it is, wasn't true? Mm, yeah.
0: Yeah it comes up a lot with pricing. I'm sure it comes up, you know, anybody's anybody who's doing some kind of coaching, whatever their focus is, it probably comes up a lot with whatever the focus is. But since I focus on pricing so much, I see it come up a lot in that context. And there are a few of them, big ones that are are just kind of like, you know, I I don't 100% feel capable to solve because I don't think anyone can solve them. Like I said before, it's kind of like on the the person with the mindset ultimately to make that transformation. And like the most you can do is patiently provide support in that journey, but you just can't, you can't make it happen. You can't make the horse drink. So the ones that come up for me regularly are scarcity mindset versus abundance mindset, which is brutal, uh, in terms of like your, your, uh, getting the work-life balance or the the leverage that you want to create—it's just like wow. It, for for a business like ours, scarcity mindset makes things way harder. Uh, don't the people don't want to share anything? They don't want to share their best thinking. Uh, they want credit for everything. Uh, it's it's really tough to share, share, share. Like I would advocate—you know—my approach to building this kind of a business is like give away as much for free as possible and. It doesn't really, don't and don't waste time chasing down people that are copying you or plagiarizing. It's like, just don't waste your time. With, like, is it, is it annoying? Yeah, just don't notice it and move on. It's like somebody with a scarcity mindset, just like flip out about that. Um, another one is it, it expresses itself as guilt and it's it has something to do. I haven't wrestled this one down really. I don't have a great name for this. Maybe you do, but it's like this work ethic thing that if I'm not working hard, if I'm not, if I don't feel like I'm working hard and i mean, in, how do I define hard? Cause none of us are digging ditches. I mean it in the sense of like, you're drained by your work. It's hard. You have to force yourself to do it. You don't want to do that next thing. Your back-to-back phone calls, you're worn out. You don't have time to go to the bathroom. You can't play with your kids as much as you like you're working hard And the idea is the mindset that it has to be like that. And if you're not doing that, you feel bad about yourself. If you feel guilty, you feel like you have not done something that you should have done.
1: I call that the work should be hard. Yeah. Mindset.
0: It's not, it's not workaholism, which isn't what you're saying, but workaholics is kind of like another way to look at it. But the thing that really, but I feel like a lot of workaholics are enjoying the 80 hour weeks in a perverse way. It's not per. I shouldn't say perverse. It's like, hey, if that's your gym, then whatever. I don't care. Um, but if you're if you're feeling like you don't like it, and it's the only way, and when you take a day off for some reason, maybe you get sick, you're like, ugh, you just feel worse. It's not rejuvenating because you you just have this guilt. And you said you call it what?
1: Work should be should notice the use of the word should. Work should right. be hard. Right. But that's why they call it work.
0: Right. <laughs> right. But you can make money from something that feels like play. Yes. But that is, no, that's a mindset, right? Like that's a huge mindset.
1: That's definitely a mindset. And it's, you know, it's one that can change if you're aware. And again, mm-hmm. it's, well, what if that wasn't true? What if work doesn't have to be hard? Well, I, right. I don't know. So so you can try something. You can try one thing to see if, and it's for me, that's in coaching, that's usually getting people closer to their genius zone. Because they're probably doing things in one of the other three zones, you know, your zone of incompetence, your zone of competence, or your zone of excellence versus your genius zone. And, Mm -hmm. you know, once somebody experiences that, a lot of times the scales kind of fall away Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they start to embrace it. But it's it's mind bending the first time it happens for someone with this mindset.
0: Yeah. Mind bending. Yes. What's another one? Another one around pricing is selling to your own wallet, which you kind of touched on. Uh, I think it might've been before the call when we were talking about bloomers, but <laughs> it, it kind of, it's like, I have an article on this about a, a sort of salesperson at a Tiffany's jewelry store, you know, who makes maybe, maybe $19 an hour selling jewelry to you know a billionaire who walks in that wants a 50th anniversary present for his wife and like trying to talk the billionaire into the the cheaper but just as good birthday present <laughs> and the billionaire being like just like no I, i'm spending 50 grand i just just tell me which things are 50 grand or, or whatever you know i'm sort yeah. of paraphrasing my own article right but the idea Um, Especially when you're not selling diamond rings, when you're selling the intangible, the transformation, the support, the the community, the connection, the information. When you're selling these sorts of digital or intangible or social invisible things, it's easy to be like, oh, well, no one would. It's not worth it. Like it didn't. it, It was... It's a combination of things. One is just like the amount of money that you're used to receiving and the idea that that could jump up is just foreign. Uh, But the other thing is related to genius zone, which is probably why I thought of it, which is like it doesn't feel hard, so it couldn't be valuable. As if value is created by labor, which obviously, well, it's not.
1: And a lot of religions preach that, right? This is about, about being humble, working really hard, um sacrificing suffering and uh yeah and so we a lot of us bring that to our work and when we go solo Mm -hmm. it's different there's no boss to say you know you really should go home at five o'clock right you know how about you take tomorrow off and rest after you did that big presentation you know you're all by yourself and so those mindsets kind of echo Inside your head and if anything, I think they get stronger mm. when you go solo,
0: right? Yeah I, 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 My trainer tells me there's there's it happens Commonly that He's not a big fan of people like measuring their fitness on a scale He mm-hmm. he thinks that's foolish and
1: That's he, perspective.
0: Yeah Right. That's a perspective. Right. And he, but he sees, he sees people who are shooting for a number and they're doing something that hasn't gotten them them to the number. And so they just insist on doing more of it, mm. especially, um, it's a, especially cardio people. So rowers, runners, uh, people like that. They're like, they're, they've got this dream weight in mind and they're, they're, you know, rowing twice a day, you know, w- in whatever the season and they're just not getting down to their dream weight so they just do it more and very quickly you get to diminishing returns like injuries your body going into like panic mode holding on to every ounce of fat because you're out in the middle of a river in winter rowing for 90 minutes so you know and he just shakes his head and he's like it doesn't and he he you know i'm putting words in his mouth but it feels like the same thing where Where nothing he says, or certainly he can't just flip a switch and have that person see that, well, you've been doing this for six years and it hasn't worked yet. So doing more of it isn't probably going (laughs) to change anything. You know, it's like you've had two knee replacements because of this behavior. And it's just like, no, I got to grind. I got to do more. I got to do more. And I see that I see that same yeah. kind of thing in business, where especially soloists, where there's no one to delegate to, you have to do everything or most things anyway. And there's this—I don't know if this is perspective or mindset. It's probably more perspective, but there's this perception that if I'm not, that I just need to be busy all the time, because yeah. you know, it's it's like if I if I if I don't keep paddling, this ship's gonna, or this boat's gonna sink. And it's like, well. You know, put up the sail and sit back for a minute, right?
1: Yeah, it's counterintuitive if right. if that's not your mindset. Yeah, right? do
0: less, and it will actually and get you more. Get more, right. right?
1: That's that's a great mindset to adopt if you're looking for one.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I don't I don't is that I don't really know if that's like an abundance mindset. I don't think it is. That's not. It's that's more like. I mean, I think almost nobody would agree. I uh, would disagree with the idea that you know, work smart, not hard. Like that's a, that's yeah, let's do that. You want, you don't want to do things the the dumb way you want to do things the smart way, but then they don't necessarily act like that in their business for, for a variety of good reasons. I think like they don't know what the, the smart things are, the easier, the efficient or the uh, effective, I should say, not efficient, the effective way to get to their outcomes are they, maybe they don't have a good definition of what their outcomes are. So they're just like scrambling
1: well, and they could be selling to their own wallet. To your point, um, they can also have this idea of what being an entrepreneur means. This, you know, I've got to bootstrap everything, mm-hmm. and for all time. I mean, there are some folks even in the soloist space like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I have to do. You know, I'm. I have to do every. So I'm like I would. I'm. You could almost point this finger at me. Like I have to do everything myself. But I don't do everything myself. I only do the things I want to do. And the stuff that doesn't need to get done doesn't get done. So could I get to where I... Okay. So like, could I... Let's put it like this. Could I get... Could I increase my revenue dramatically by hiring some people? Absolutely. No doubt about it. Mm -hmm. But I would sacrifice things that are way more important to me. Like my day-to-day experience. Like now all of a sudden I have meetings. I don't want meetings. (laughs) I'd rather have the time than money, frankly. So it's like if you're, if you are, this might be off track, but it it feels related where if you're, I think it's a, this would be a perspective that, you know, you've, you've read all the blog posts and you've been on social media and sort of maybe let's just pick one like hustle culture or you got to grind and you got to outwork competition. That's
1: Mm -hmm. another one
0: if that's your reality, if that's your, to me, that's a perspective. That's, that's not probably from your youth or some fundamental value proposition or belief. But if, if that's your perspective, then you're copying someone for whom it probably worked and is advocating it to other people. But that doesn't mean it's the right fit for you. So for me, that's, that's a big perspective. One is like, look, why did you, why did you start a business? Why didn't you just keep, being an employee you're working more now for less Mm -hmm. so why did you do it oh i did it to help people it's like you couldn't help people as an employee well yeah i I could help people as an employee i was helping people as an employee okay so why'd you decide to do it on your own and i I think inevitably the answer is for the freedom and (laughs) and it's like but now you don't have the freedom so do you see a problem there?
1: <laughs> oh, I, I can still remember when I sold my first firm to Anderson and I felt like a weight had been lifted, even though I was like, oh God, I'm going to be an employee. Ugh. Um, what I remembered was I'm not going to be running around on the carpet underneath the desk yeah, at the midnight trying to fix <laughs> you know technology, the server that broke. I don't have to worry that, you know, my sole admin decides to take a sudden vacation yeah. for personal reasons. And I have to, like, make do her job for a week. It was the sense of relief was amazing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Because all of a sudden you had nothing to do Compar- yeah. comparatively.
1: Comparatively. Exactly. And I had a whole lot more money in my pocket.
0: Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's an example of, like, work. Well, that's yeah. an example of a bunch of things. But
1: yeah. I think another one that that I hear and it's it, it almost never is said, but it's like I can sense it is uh, I'm not good enough to be at the top of yeah. my field, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. I'm not good enough. So, yeah, so and so is there and they're really fabulous, but I'm never going to be as good as they are. And That's a really insidious one.
0: Can you say more about that one?
1: Yeah, I mean I think that and and you might think by the way I said it that it's people that are at the beginning of their career looking at somebody else who's got 20 years of yeah, that's 10 how years I of doing it. this. And it's not that. Okay. It's where there is this underlying belief that no matter what you do, you are not going to be at the top. And I'm not talking either, even about like a sad sack like an Eeyore. Oh, well. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about someone who probably got some messages in their early life that they weren't good enough. So it's harder for them to do things like um, write a book. Not write a book, publish a book, right? Mm. It's harder for them to do a speech. It's harder for them to do a podcast. It's that pushing yourself out on this platform feels way more scary to a person with this mindset than someone without it.
0: Mm, That's... So do you think that is a confidence thing, imposter syndrome? Because the, maybe they're right. I mean, maybe they won't be as good as this other person. I just don't see why it matters.
1: Well, what I'm saying is they're not good enough to be at the top. It's
0: Who cares not- if they're at the top, I guess, is what I'm saying. It's like, like what? I mean, you could do... I mean, it seems like a, a, a false dilemma. Is that what it's called? It's like what I see what you're saying and I see how it would hold someone back. Like it's like they think they need to be the best in the world to justify being on stage. Something or like that. Or to charge
1: a certain price.
0: Okay. It's, and it's, so it's
1: really, it's really, what the, the thing that I'm talking about and, you know, I'm not a therapist, but the yeah. thing that I'm talking about is really part of their makeup as a human. There is this feeling that they're not good enough whatever whatever environment that is. Mm-hmm. And so some of the, sometimes people will try harder because they know that and so they'll fall into the um you know the busy one that we talked about. But for others it's just more of a challenge than for the average bear to push themselves out there. It, I, it's I mean yeah. you could call it self-esteem, but yeah, it's it's all of those things. It's imposter syndrome. It can be all of those things, but it if it's a fixed part of your mindset, mm-hmm. then it, at, to your point earlier, it requires some examination
0: mm-hmm. and
1: being willing to do the things to, to start to step you out of that mindset.
0: That's an interesting one. I, I don't, I've probably encountered this, but I haven't, I don't know that I have. So I've probably seen symptoms of this, but I've never identified this in someone I've worked with, but you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of, um, in and overly developed focus on the competition. Normally I see that with someone who has high confidence, they're just focusing on the wrong thing and they want to beat the competitor instead of help their clients. Like they're more focused on their competitors than their clients, but they're usually high confidence people. But if a person like that had low confidence, I think it would look like what you're talking about where they're focusing on the the competition air quotes. They don't think they're competitive with the other person. Like they couldn't win against the other person but maybe you're talking about something different
1: it's a fear of putting your voice out there that because you don't believe you're good enough and a lot of people have this mm, okay. and you know sort of the the archetype is is maybe the person who sits inside and is a, is an introvert and you know never comes out to play basically but there's lots of people who are running you know our kinds of businesses who have to really fight this. And some of the ways they fight it are, they spend all their time creating something and none of their time talking to other people about it. Or oh, they yeah, launch something fun. and they put a teeny tiny price on it because they're they're not ready. Like they're not ready to put a bigger price in it. And this mm. is where it overlaps with confidence, which I think we should talk about next, but mm. um, yeah. And so it's just a question of how deep it goes. Everybody has moments where they feel like an imposter. Everybody has moments where they're not confident. You know, welcome to being a human. Um but sometimes it goes deeper.
0: Yeah, I, I mean I definitely see people on a regular basis who have clearly in my opinion clearly underpriced themselves. And you I'm sure you're right that confident the per, personal like self-esteem or or their personal confidence uh and a lack of understanding of the buyer. So to me, it, it it the thing that I think I focus on is less about the seller and like whatever their internal monologue might be. And I I just don't even think to discuss that if when I see someone is like this, you know. So a lot of times people will send me a proposal, you know, they'll use my proposal template, three options, incremental value priced, and they'll could you review this? And I'll read the thing. And the value proposition will be, you know, in my head, it'll be like X. And then I get down to the bottom where the prices are and it's like a tenth of X. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, these prices are so low that I now don't believe that, that this will work. Like mm-hmm. it, it almost, it almost makes me, it it undermines their credibility because the price is so low. It can't be, they may, pricing must be psychology. terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I look at it and I'm like, well, based, based on the, The specifics of this particular proposal, this price should be at least double, like your lowest price should be at least double. And, and it's easy for me if the proposal is written well, it's easy for me to make a case for it. Cause it's like, look, you just explained at the top, their current situation, their desired future state and why they think you can help them get there. And they're really strong. Like they, if this is all true, which is never not true,
1: they're not lying
0: They're not making it up. It might not be a hundred percent accurate, but it's close. And be like, if this is true, then the person who runs this fifty million dollar business with five hundred employees is gonna want to spend more than five hundred dollars with you, right? And and you, but you can make the and you can just rationally to the person like, right? I mean, they're wearing a fifteen thousand dollar watch but you think they're only going to spend $500 to help you de-risk this giant project. And you know, you're like, you're like, and for these reasons that they said, you know, that they trust you that are in the proposal. So I never, I never, it's funny. I probably should, should probably would be useful for me to, in situations like that question, some of the personal beliefs, but I never do. I always just, I never have thought to do that. I just say like, well, like look at what you wrote. And put yourself in the shoes of the other person because that's where the value is. It's not in you. And that's the whole problem of selling to your own wallet is like, it's like the other per- value is subjective. It's not a part of the diamond ring, it's not a part of the road mapping engagement. It's a perception in the mind of the buyer. And you're sort of dishonoring them by putting your price too low. You're probably talking to yourself out. You're, you're going to lose the gig if you put yourself too low. But okay, so now I'm just saying this out loud to remind myself. Next time this happens, I'll do some questioning around like, why? why would you set these prices this low? And I'll bet you I would uncover some.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's two things here, you know, in that example. And one is that I think it's really helpful for someone caught up in their own head to get a perspective from the outside that says, wait, I just read this proposal. These are the results you're getting. Why aren't you charging 500000 instead of $50,000? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I do that for clients all the time, right? That's what we do. But what happens is when, and that's very helpful, what happens when they don't then change, right? When they don't go, oh, of course I should do that, is that there's probably something else going on there. And that's when it's really interesting to kind of look at that and go, hmm, as the person making the change. All right. So somebody just told me this should be 500,000. Okay. So what, are my blocks? Why am I not? Why am I so scared? Yeah. Is it because I really need the 50,000? Is it because, you know, I wouldn't pay 500,000? Like, so you yeah. start to examine those things and then, yeah. And then eventually you you change your, your mindset or your perspective, depending on how deep it goes.
0: Right. That's a great point. That's a good trigger for me to keep in mind when someone, you know, we, on the call, we agree. Yes, this should be at least double what you put here. At least. And then they agree and then they don't do it. Then it's like, okay. Yeah, exactly. What what are you afraid of? Like like and you just listed all the things, right? You know, like afraid of losing the gig, need the money, cash flow. Okay. That that's a fair answer. But why didn't that come up on the call when we were talking? Like why didn't you say, Yeah, 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 but I, I need the I, I need five hundred bucks right now, no matter what, or five thousand or fifty thousand, like whatever the underprice is and if they said that, I'd be like, well, in my opinion, you're jeopardizing the deal by putting the price that low because it undermines your credibility. You know, and it's just, you know, I'm just guessing. I've never talked to the client, but based on what's written on this page, I feel like you're undermining your credibility by pricing it that low. If you feel like that is the best way to land the amount of money that you need to land. But it's like, if we don't have that conversation and they still submit the proposal with the low price, then exactly right. It's like, okay, well, let's talk about that. Like You, yeah. you said you were going to do it. And it made sense
1: and you didn't what what made you not i mean i've had a client where um they they had a price and i looked at the price and i said uh at least double and there was a lot of i don't know if i could do it i'm not sure and finally they sent out the proposal and they went higher than double i was so proud (laughs) (laughs) but it was one of those things where you know it's not my decision as the coach, I'm not the one that has to live with the consequences. Exactly. It's the person and you just have to decide, do I want to take this risk in quotes? Like, what's the risk of that? They'll take it for this much or that I, you know, it's, it's always that question because sometimes like the client will come back and they accept it immediately and you go, dang it, you yeah. should have gone higher. <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> that happens. Other, it, it, But other times, it's, you know, I, I'm uh, I've been doing this for long enough that I do try to temper my exuberance with like inflating the price, inflating the price, inflating the price, because you can set it too high. It's possible that they'll say no, like that doesn't, that doesn't seem like an acceptable price to the buyer. And and so there's a risk that you'll lose the gig. So it's like, what if they say no? And it's like, that's, that's a possibility, but what if they say yes, so you got to, you know, at this yeah, double You're looking price. at
1: both bets, right? right? It's
0: bets, right. So
1: it really is. How badly do I need the the money on the low side that I'm going to get from this? And how much do I want to take the risk on the high side? And some people actually go through an exercise where the client is maybe not 100% ideal. They're maybe 80 to 90% of the way. And so they're like, okay and And it might not be about the client, but about the timing of the project yeah. or maybe somebody on the team. Mm-hmm. And so you go, all right, well, if I get one hundred and fifty percent of what I usually charge, I would be willing to do this project. And I would feel good about it. And then the other the other question sometimes is, okay, if if client X, potential client X said yes to this at this price, how are you going to feel? You know, especially after we've just had this conversation about where you could go, oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so maybe you just go up, you know, 25%, not double. I mean, right. it's it, it's a journey and it also depends on your business model and whether you have like three or four whale clients where the risk for each one is bigger, right? Or you have 20 clients where, you know, if one says no, you, or, or 20 uh, folks in your in your pipeline. If one says no, you're like, "Okay, we'll go to we'll move to the next one."
0: Yeah, the impact's much lower.
1: Yeah. 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 So
0: if somebody right, so if somebody had the conversation, like what, what's the fear? And this is, well, I really need the money or whatever. Um, then it's like, okay, so let's, let's like sit in this for a second and recognize that, that you, you agree that the price would make sense to the buyer at this higher rate, but the risk of losing the deal is the impact of losing the deal is too high for you. So what can we do in the future so that you're not in this situation? Because we can both agree that it's, that's ruining your ability to, uh, negotiate in a sense. I mean, like the, the proposal is the beginning of a negotiation. So you're ruining your, your potential to negotiate. You're, you're seeding all power in the sales process. You're undervalued. You agree that you've undervalued this particular, your contribution to this particular project out of desperation. So let's in the future. So go ahead, do it. I understand what it's like when the mortgage is due or the payroll or whatever. And and, but let's work on this desperation piece, and get that out of there. And that to me, that's to me, that's I I I know how to deal with that. I've dealt with that with people before. The thing that is much trickier, I've probably never dealt with really well, is that the I'm not good enough stuff. The the that just like inherent I don't deserve it. It's it's not that it, that's a totally different objection. Like how come you don't want to double your price? I don't deserve it.
1: Well, and nobody says that. They don't say it in those words. They think it on some level consciously or unconsciously. It's deep seated.
0: What was it? So what would be your approach with, if you did uncover that kind of a, is that too, you know, psychiatrist couch for us, or is that something that you've.
1: Well, it depends what it is. Cause I try to draw a really firm boundary around anything that's therapeutic. And a lot of times, people will tell me, "Oh, yeah, I have a therapist." And I'll say, "Oh, you know, this would be a great thing to discuss with them," <laughs> because yeah, it's not. I, I don't want to be an amateur therapist that doesn't help anyone. Um, but a a lot of times, it's just asking questions because sometimes people don't really understand that they're approaching it that way. I think if somebody's like really at the at the bottom of that, like a true EOR, they don't get through my my system like they're not going to wind up being a client they might buy something from me but they wouldn't wind up being a coaching client yeah because i i don't do well that's what i was thinking
0: before when you brought that up i was like i i don't think i don't i'm not aware of working with anybody like that in one-on-one in the past maybe one person maybe one of them
1: but but an example of somebody who would get through this, because th- so many of us are like this, is like someone, will, th- the words they might say are, I want to be liked mm-hmm. by my clients, right? And that's kind of a form of this. I want to be liked. So I'm going to make, de- I might make, I shouldn't say I'm going to, I might make decisions that aren't the best for me, but they'll help the client to like me. So I don't have to have a difficult conversation about why my prices are increasing by 25%. So like those things, I mean it's just all very human, you know? Every human's different and we all have our our stuff. And so I just try to look for those things. Those aren't those aren't things that, you know, somebody has to discuss in therapy. They're just things that you have to think about when you're running a business and how important that is to you. And like so one of the exercises that I do with clients is super simple is I give them a values inventory and I have I go through a structured thing. So they come back to me with a list of their top value, their top five and their top 10. And that helps me to understand along with some of the other intake, like how do they think? What do they value? What's most important? And if I have to choose between these certain ways of thinking, which is kind of what values are, if I have to choose between these, this is how I'm going to make the choice. You can learn a lot about a person with something as simple as that.
0: Interesting, yeah, yeah. yeah I don't. I probably should do that with, <laughs> if I was still doing one-on-ones. It's like it would be interesting, perhaps helpful. Probably, you know, it couldn't hurt to know what, generally speaking, is driving their decisions. But I think my sense is that, that just like you said, a, a lot of people who would be very difficult for me to help just get filtered out like they don't pull the trigger like they don't make it to the application form because for whatever reason it's just like i I don't know i'm just not warm and fuzzy enough and they can tell or or something
1: but but the other part is and we're both the same i think in this way is that we work with action takers like nothing drives us more crazy than somebody that says i can't do that i can't do this i can't do that it's like it's It's just try something yeah
0: it's like what do you (laughs) It's called an accountability call, and every time you show up with nothing done, okay, it's, I'm, it's not working. The accountability is not working, <laughs> so <laughs> it doesn't usually happen, but it has.
1: So let's talk about confidence a little bit, mm-hmm. and I, I want to just relay this story I had with a longtime listener of the show in the last few days, and um, this is someone who had his best year ever in 2022. And so he made that much, what he made in 2022, through half the year in 2023, and was on track to have a similar second part of the year. And so you know, he was pretty giddy, as you might expect. So I, so I asked him, so what made the difference? Like, how, what did you do differently? And he said, uh, it was 100% the confidence to raise his prices. And he said something like, you know, when I started this, I wasn't even sure that I had a business. And now I'm so confident that even when someone says no to, you know, my dramatically higher prices, I don't think that automatically that something is wrong with me or my offering. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's the confidence. And I think, I think he's been in business about four years, if I remember rightly. So that's a lot to happen in four years from I'm not even sure this is a business to making some money, making some money, making a lot of money, and then all of a sudden making that much in just half the following year.
0: Right. So, so here, let me let me draw out a nuance. And you can tell me in the specific case if this is relevant or not. But I think that there's a big difference between self-confidence and confidence. So it's what it sounds like to me in the story is that the your person didn't have enough data and wasn't he had a low expectation of his odds, and once he started to get data, aka proof through sales, to maybe testimonials, uh, high customer satisfaction. Now he's got more data, so it doesn't sound like an inherent self confidence issue. It feels more like. I don't have enough data to know that this is going to work. So I wasn't confident that the risk was going to pay off. It's like, I'm going to make this bet and I'm not, I'm really unsure if it's going to work. Well, now he's got proof that it does work. So, so what I'm, I'm curious to get your take on, does it feel like a, a, a increased
1: self-confidence
0: or is it just increased confidence in the, the, the concept of the business?
1: Um, I, it's primarily the latter because I I didn't know this person when they started the business, but they've always come across as very confident in in a in a good way, you know, mm-hmm. just you know, and very likable. And so so I think that this was always a confident person. And if I were to look at this person, I'd say, well, he's going to be successful whatever he decides to do. <laughs> like it's that kind of a person, but what i really saw in or heard i should say in that conversation was that the the confidence in the concept and in his ability to deliver value right the way that he'd planned just kept increasing And when I say it's off the charts, those are my words, but I felt that like viscerally, like this is a person now who knows, they have a viable business, they have a business that can create a lot of revenue without employees, and he's got a concept that works. So going from, I'm not sure if this is going to work, I hope it does, (laughs) you know, I have a house to pay for, I have a family to feed, Mm -hmm. um, to, you know, being Confident at that point that the business will work and confident in being able to say, This is my price for this thing. Here's the value that you're going to get out of that. And if the client can't see that, which sometimes they don't, um, it's okay. It doesn't mean there's a problem with the concept. It doesn't mean there's a problem with him. It's just, yeah. it wasn't a match.
0: There's more fish in the sea. So, yeah. Right. So, to me, yeah, I, I think it's important to point out that. that Uh, the level that I mean it is the right word confidence is the right word I'm trying to find words for it that are that are more around sure bets you know it was not a sure bet no he he was very unsure of the bet but for some reason made the bet anyway and Mm -hmm. now it paid off you know perhaps sounds like more better than even expected and he's got a lot more information about the size of the market and the value proposition and that you know potential number of uh, qualified buyers so his, conf- his so his his calculation of the risk has has gone has become way more sure so it's like the the riskiness of it has gone way down way way yes. way down yes but that's different i th- that that might be more in the pers i don't even think that's in the perspective category but you could argue that it is like he's got a perspective into the market that he didn't have before He's standing in a place that allows him to see more behind the curtain or the fog has lifted, whatever however, whatever metaphor you want.
1: Well, if you think of perspective as also not just, but also being your point of view, mm-hmm. right? As a professional, your point of view towards your niche, or towards your people. Um, yeah, I would say that his point of view probably has changed in those four years. Mm. And it's it's more specific, I would guess. I, I don't know that, but that's typically I, I've had clients like him where you start at point A and you're a confident person, but like it, it business doesn't work right away. There's you try some things, they don't work. You mm-hmm. get nervous. You try some more things, but still you're generally confident in yourself as a as a as an expert as a as a person. But it, it sh- can shake you when things don't work.
0: Yeah, especially if you're making big bets, like bet the farm type bets. So, yeah, I mean, this is why we, we've we talked many times before about, like, you come up with everything, it's like a hypothesis, like, you know, you, your guy, he had a hypothesis, like, I think this is a business, I don't know, but I'm going to try and prove the hypothesis, hypothesis. And he did. But, you know, it, if that's, so there's always going to be uncertainty, because that's where that's you know for in business there's always going to be risks that's where the reward comes from and that's like an important piece of the puzzle getting rewarded for delivering value by cashing checks so if you if you, when you have this hypothesis you can test them you can act like a scientist and be a little bit more dispassionate about the outcome of any, of any given experiment because you haven't got that much skin in the game it wasn't that big a bet It was like oh let me see if i could if I, no. you know i've got this idea for a business i think I think it. The value proposition is this. I think the target market is this. I think the expensive problem is that, uh, and I think I can get in front of these people over here. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, tweet about it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put together a 30 minute webinar and see if anybody shows up. And what do you know? Nobody showed up. So either you know, so I, you know, but that's not like a, not like a a six month commitment to find out if you know to just just run a little test. Imperfect as it is, it's a little test. And if you had a hundred people sign up, whoa, something's going on
1: here. Yeah, but even then, that's yeah, even then, that's not necessarily it for people who are in high-end corporate B two B because trying to get those people to a webinar
0: or whatever it is, whatever the test is, you get to show a, a booth at a trade show, whatever the, wherever they are, you go there, you do a little test. But what I'm, my point, the reason I brought it up is because that is a way to increase. To decrease the perceived risk, to increase your confidence that this could be a good bet. But it has has like almost predicated by the person having self-confidence to even show up at all.
1: Yes. Right. You've got to have that. Right. You really do. Otherwise, you know, you're just going to... I mean, go be an employee. Like why put yourself through this? Right. Why torture yourself? Yeah. If it's not something that that you want. Mm. That's probably a great
0: question to ask. Like like for for the my my son plays video games and, and a lot and when one of the they refer to people who who just play the game as hard as possible to win 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 they like all gamers call those kids tryhards and they're like not even having fun they're just trying oh, so oh, hard okay okay and uh it's like a pejorative term like oh here comes tryhard <laughs> it's like we're goofing around <laughs> over here like we're trying to have fun you know and uh if you didn't want freedom, why did you start a business? That's what maybe loop back to this. As you said, you know, like, it's like being an employee is fine too. Like if you're not, if you're not interested in working for yourself, then great. Just know yourself. Like the self-knowledge is the important piece. But if you did, if, if you really hated being an employee or working for your last boss or a string of bosses and you just don't want, you know, you don't want that, then it's like, okay, you need it, you really need to get comfortable with with what's going to happen if it works. Because <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, because if you're not comfortable with, if you, if your mindset, I think this is mindset, not perspective. If it works, you're potentially going to have a lot more free time, which is the thing you wanted. You want to be able to do what you want, when you want to do it, where you want to do it, with people you want to do it with, which feels like play. It feels like fun. So if you're not prepared to enjoy that, you're, you've got a bit of a dilemma because you don't want to have a boss. You don't want to be undervalued at, at, by your employer, but you're not also not willing to accept the spoils or the, the benefits of being your own, you know, being, being the owner of a successful business. So you would probably sabotage yourself or do lots of busy work to fill in all of that, of what should have been free time or time to think about the business or read or play with the kids or, you know, all these other things. So it's I think sometimes this is what I'm getting at when I talk about carrying an employee mentality into business ownership or entrepreneurship where you feel like your calendar has to be wall to wall and it doesn't.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of like you you may start that way in your first year or two, but the uh, sure, idea sure, is, sure. To, is to morph off of that. And if you can't, then that's either a sign that you need some help figuring out the business or you need some help like therapeutic style help figuring out like, what do you really want? What's gonna serve you? And mm-hmm. where do you wanna push yourself versus where do you wanna burrow into your comfort zone?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And there was a great piece on LinkedIn, uh, I don't know, in the last year anyway. And somebody wrote and said, uh, nobody ever says this. And you know I'm a little worried about putting it out there, but I'm giving up my business and I'm going back to corporate. Mm-hmm and she went through her reasons and i applauded her mm-hmm. like she made the right decision for her she said i feel like there's shame around this but i'm i don't want to accept that i don't that's why i'm putting it out here i'm not ashamed of this mm-hmm. and i loved it <laughs> Yeah, own
0: it, own it.
1: Well, yeah, this is about what's right for each of us. And, you know, we're not, you know, we're not all the same person. We want different things. And there's a lot you can do as an employee in an organization. Sure. Just because, you know, I don't want to do it or you don't want to do it doesn't mean it's not exactly right for you or somebody that you know. Mm. I mean, thank God. I mean, we need employees in the world.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 that's great. I love it. It's it it does. I think, geez, I mean, if there's a central theme that kind of ties together perspective, mindset, confidence, all of this stuff and play mindset, all that stuff, it's kind of like self-knowledge, right? It's like understanding yourself, what you want, what, what is preventing you from getting it? What, what are your strengths that would help that you could perhaps amplify to help you get there? Like, is this even the right fit? It's like very, it gets very big, very big picture pretty quick.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and. Most people don't sit down and figure all this out in a day or two. It's, it's a thing that unravels. <laughs> Actually, yeah. unfolds would be better than yeah. unravels. It yeah. unfolds <laughs> over time because also your life changes, right? Maybe sure. you uh, get married or divorced or you have a new partner, you have children, your children go, to, go away to college, like all these things happen or you care for your aging parents, like all this stuff happens in life. So, you know, you change as you go.
0: Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I feel like we've opened, potentially opened up a can of worms for <laughs> some part of the audience. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, it should be for the best. I hope.
1: Yeah. Let's hope so.
0: Yeah. Right. Um. But yeah. So let's just let's just repeat. Like it's a it's a, changing a mindset. Once you've identified a mindset that is perhaps not serving your current situation, you need a lot of patience to kind of unpack it, examine it you know, hold it up to the light, turn it around, figure out what might be an alternative, a better alternative that suits you is more useful.
1: Rework it.
0: All right. Anything else we should say before we wrap up? (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) We've
1: done. (laughs) Got to turn
0: the AC back on.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) All right, folks. That's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark.
1: And I'm Rochelle Moulton.
0: And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye.
1: Bye Bye-bye.